Folks at home, folks at home, how you doing? Mike Iconelli, welcome to Ike Live, show two. Man, I want to thank you for joining us. You know, show one was a blast. We had a great time, and this show is going to keep getting better. Man, we've got a very special show tonight, a dynamic show. We've got some special stuff happening live on set, and we've got some special guests tonight. Uh, we've got Pete Glusick from the Bash Universities here. Uh, we've got a very special friend of the show, Crazy Chris Delfonso, is in the studio tonight. And we've got... A really exciting thing is going to happen. I, just, I don't even want to tell you what it is yet. I'm just going to let it happen. Uh, so we got a big show. But the highlight of the show, Randy Howe, 2014 Bassmaster Classic Champion, live in the studio via phone. It, it's awesome. Uh, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Winning the Classic's awesome. Speaking of the Classic, i got to start the show by talking a little bit about my classic, and uh, and it and it was a tough one. Uh, you know, the Bassmaster Classic is the kind of tournament you go and you try to fish to win, and and um, you fish for the winning fish, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it was one of those events where it just didn't work for me. You know, I look back at it, I had the bites to have a really good tournament, didn't put them in the boat. But that's fishing, and and you got to go on. And the one thing I learned about this sport over the last 15 years is there's peaks and valleys, and you got to get through the valleys to get back to the peaks. Um, so on with the show. Enough talking about my performance at the Classic. We're going to get into it, but before we do that, two very special shout-outs. You know, one is to our active military and our veterans just want to say thank you we appreciate you 1000% and then before we get into it I met a little girl at a, a show this week in New York her name is Sinclair and she and she drew me these pictures Brian Brian the Carpenter's here by the way say hi Bri hi Bri Bri can you get a little get a little zoom of that there she goes thank you Sinclair she created those beautiful pictures for me. Thank you. Appreciate that. And as always, Brian, as always, we're going to start the show with a very special segment that we call Hot Topic. We call Hot Topic. And here to join me, <laughs> sitting to my right, Pete Glusick. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. The Thank one and only. It's good to be back. Good to see you again. Good to see you. So the hot topic, it's hot in this room, and the hot topic, we're going to start, it relates to the Classic. Okay, you ready for this, Bri? We want you in on this, too. It relates to the Bassmaster Classic. And the hot topic this week is the fans at the Classic, particularly the fans out on the lake, out on the water, the biggest tournament of the year, and there are thousands of fans on Lake Gunnersville. Out on the water with the pros. So I want to talk about that a little bit because I really think it's a um, it's a gift and a curse scenario, right? It's a gift and it's a curse scenario. The gift of a lot of fans on the water. What an awesome thing! What an awesome thing! What other sport can you have the fans on the field? Following their favorite athlete, not, what other sport? Not not too many. Golf golf is a little bit similar to a that. A little bit, right? They can follow they can follow the guys around. They can see the guys shoot for the individual holes, and, and that's. But but what you don't see in golf 
is you don't see the fans grab a club and get out there and say, I can make that putt right. and get out there and take a shot. And and uh, you say it's a hot topic. Man, it was a hot topic down at the Classic. I was down at the Classic, and uh, whether it was watching the War Room uh, on Bassmaster.com or, um, or listening to the anglers come across the stage, uh, you know, trying to manage their frustration in some scenarios, uh, it, it was on. It was on the tips of everybody's tongue down there at the Classic yeah. this year. Yeah, it, it's it's the gift and the curse, and I you know I love it. I love the fans being out there. I love the fact that somebody's out there to watch you. That's that's a very humbling thing. But man, I got to tell you, from last year's Classic, I can tell you at Tulsa at Grand Lake. I felt like I had a potential to win there. And the second day when there was a hundred boats behind me and they all followed me in this creek, man, I could I could feel it affecting the fishing pressure. You know, so it, it does hurt. What do you think about it? Brian the Carpenter, what what are, what are your thoughts about all these fans out here following us on the water? What do you think about them fishing behind us? Uh, I, yeah, I think it's uh, I, I think it's something these guys need to keep themselves in check. You guys are fishing for a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. Put the rods away. Enjoy the show. Learn something. But uh, you can be there fishing the next week. I, I just I I think it's I think it's wrong. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough call because the other you got to look at that flip side. You know, you say it's a it's a positive because there's so many fans there. That is that is amazing. There was more interest in this classic than anyone previously. The all the boat launches were packed with uh, spectator boats. People were out in full force and and overwhelmingly everybody was so cool. Oh yeah, you know over. Overwhelmingly, the vast majority of everybody was trying to stay out of everybody else's way. But the, you know, you, you got to look at the, the perspective of the casual angler um, that maybe booked his vacation that week on Gunnersville. You got to look at the fishing license purchaser who has every right to, you know, fish when when he gets days off from work and it happened to coincide with that tournament. And, and you know, they all want a little piece of, of the greatest lake in the history of the world, Lake Gunnersville. Yeah. And, um, you know, they have their they have their rights there too. It, it's it's a public fishery. It's a public it's a public fishery. But you know what I would like to see, and see this in a lot of other sports, or I'd like to certainly consider it. We fish our some of these little lakes around our way where uh, they close them off for the scullers races. They close the waterway down. You you're not you're not allowed to be there in any type of boat. That, that's uh, correct. Yeah. Or fishing yep, yep. and Cooper and River. High speed boat races can shut waterways down for their competitions. Uh, so I would like I'd like to to see the the state agencies and the tournament organizations kind of pursue that that part of it where, you know, some of these, you know, whether that's even feasible, whether it's even legal to do it. Right. But uh, you know, it it, it definitely is a factor in every Every single tournament, and it was a factor in this tournament. Big factor, big factor. I can tell you that you know what, when it really hit home to me, wasn't necessarily during the two competition days for me. You know, certainly I look back, I had a crowd of people follow me, and I saw people fishing out in the crowd, and you know that's kind of that messes you up a little bit. But the third day, when I didn't qualify for for the, the fishing, and I drove past a bridge. And I, I, I don't know, I count, how many people did we count? We counted 20 boats fishing along a causeway. And you just know that the pros are going to be there at some point during the day. That's when it really hit me that, you know, these guys just don't realize, you know, they're impacting the event. 
regardless of whether they know that or not, that guy goes down that riprap and catches two or three big ones. That could have been the spot that Randall fished or You're Edwin right. or Randy. And it does impact the tournament. Well, it, it's huge, and it kind of it kind of puts the uh, the deal about the being a front runner in the classic almost a huge negative. I mean, in most tournaments, you want it you want to get as much weight in the boat as you can. You want to get out into the lead, but becoming the front runner of a tournament at the Bassmasters Classic, man, you're going to have a hundred boats on your tail the next day, and and that's going to make it increasingly difficult for you to fish. You and you know what else I heard guys talking about, which is a shame. It caused them to re-strategize how they're dissecting the parts of the lake. In, sure. o- in other words, they're stopping before they would plan to to account for those boats. And they're fishing areas that weren't necessarily their first priority because they have to fish their way back to their primary spot so as not to disturb the waterway with all those spectator boats. It's, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's changed. It brings up a funny story that I, I remember Rick Clun telling um, uh, fishing the James River Classic even years ago. Yeah. And he, he passed. He was running way back up a creek somewhere. And he passed one of the other competitors who had stopped to fish. Yeah. And he just, he's on pad and he just, he just ripped right by him. And he just like sh- shaked his head thinking, oh, I'm sorry. Because he had 50 competitor or uh, chaser boats. He had the mega load of people had, behind him. He had the people behind him and they yeah. were just going to blow wake after wake on this yeah. other competitor. Yeah. And that's, an, that's another factor. It's a factor. I, I had it at the Grand Lake uh, Classic last year. I couldn't get on the bank to fish where I wanted to fish. Be- I had to weave through some of the spectator yeah. boats. So yeah. it, it adds factors to the tournament. It's difficult. It's difficult. Bri, flashed a number up there. We're going to put up the 1-800 number, the toll-free number. We want to hear what you feel about... Fans being out on classic waters. Do we have any? We have any questions come in with that, Beck? Hand us one. Jason D said, um, as long as people are using common sense, he yep. doesn't see why it's a problem that people are out fishing. Yeah. Um, but again, he would never fish an area where he thought someone fished or might fish again during the tournament. Right. And that, and Jason, that's a great comment. Uh, and you know, I want to stress, and I think Pete feels this way too. I don't ever think anything malicious ever happens out there. Mm-hmm. Of all the years that I've had fans, spectators follow me, I never felt like anybody was maliciously trying to sabotage my day or fish something behind me. Um, but a lot of stuff goes on that they, you know, it's hard to pick up on. You know, you're fishing a grass point, and right up from that, there's a little ridge that you want to get to. And then somebody pulls on it, not thinking, you know, that that, that you're going to have that in your rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not necessarily malicious, but it's the Bassmaster Classic. Why not just leave it alone for those three days, right? I, I, I can certainly appreciate it, and I, I think most people do. Right. In all honesty, most of the guys really, really do. Um, and and I even heard some commentary on the camera uh, where some of the anglers they the, they didn't have a crystal ball. One of the comments were because I think Edwin was you know trying to move some yeah. of the spectators away. And, yeah. And it, and you don't have a crystal ball. You can pull up as a spectator and, and like okay, not want to get in anybody's way. I'm complete. I'm in a creek where there's no other pros. Yep. And you start fishing down the bank, thinking that you're you're fine. You're you're not in harm's way. Yeah. But that might be your second stop. Right. Or somebody else. Un- unintentional, it's, unintentional it, 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 damage yeah. to the day. And I don't know if you knew this, but 
Aaron Martins actually carried a flare gun with him, and he was going to shoot at people if they got too close. <laughs> I'm like, we have Ryan Kirkpatrick on the phone. Okay. Go ahead, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Ryan? Yep. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. There we go. Yes. Go ahead, Ryan. We've got you. What's your question, man? Well, um, about the classic is spectator boats. I think it's just completely unacceptable. Um, I mean, I had a friend down at the classic, and he was talking about fishing and stuff like that. I was like, man, that's not a good idea. Like, just you know, it could just mess with the the fishing and stuff like that. And you guys are fishing for so much money. I think it's just completely unacceptable. Yeah, it's a good point, and, and you know, it's it's. I, I think it's a hard thing, Ryan, to put into perspective because, you know, you're a hardcore tournament guy. You get it, but you know, what about the guy like Pete said, the guy that took a vacation? You know, he spent his hard-earned money to come out and fish Lake Gunnersville that weekend, and he ends up the same weekend as the classic. You know, is it right yeah, for that guy to give up his time? It, it's a hard thing to say. I I agree with you. I think if you're a hardcore bass head and you respect the sport of professional fishing, you leave it alone for those three days. That's my personal feeling. I agree with you. Um, yeah, and see with the guy taking the vacation and stuff like that, you know, if they don't know about the classic, like, I mean, that's the biggest thing in bass right. fishing. So, I right. mean... That's something that they should just do their research on, make sure there's not tournaments on. I mean, that's what I would do if I were planning a vacation somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just me, personal. So I, I agree with it. Ryan, thanks for the call. And along those lines, if you're going to take a vacation during the Classic, go to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> go to Disney World. Unless the Classic. Yep. Unless the Classic's there. <laughs> thanks for your call, Ryan. Got another question back? What do you got? What do you got? What are people? What are people's opinion on this? What do you got, Brian the Carpenter? People agree. They say stay off the water, but there are a couple comments that say it's not just your water. It's not. It's not. All right. It's not. That's true. It's. Say, give space. Even if you're out there, give the space. Other people. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not. You know, as long as it's a public fishery, they really do have every right to be out there. And uh, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one, Pete. It's a really a tricky one. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but the hot topic is brought to you by Bass Zone. Nice. And 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 Bass Talk Live. So. We love the guys at Bass Zone. We love them. Mark? Mark. We love you, Mark. I appreciate, I appreciate what you did for us out there at the Tulsa Bass University. Yeah. Uh, that's such a big uh, a big site out there in that part of the country. The fishing's so fantastic there. But Mark did a great job for us out there and actually came by to visit. They're between Tulsa and Alabama, Gunnersville, those are the those are the hearts of, of bass fishing. That's for sure. right. Yeah. All right, guys. We have Adam from Knoxville. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Adam. How you doing tonight? Hey, doing real good. Hey, super huge fan. I appreciate what you guys are doing here. Yes, sir. Um, the uh, comment I had, with all the pressure on the big lakes, like Grand and Gunnersville, um, the uh, size of the classic, the field size is only 50, 55 boats. Would it be feasible to get a small lake and maybe shut it down publicly? In the future, if this gets to be a problem, would that be a... Absolutely. That's a great point, you know, and it and it, it brings up what Pete talked about. You know, other sports do that. You know, other sports shut lakes down, whether it's rowing or boat racing. And a little bit of that question, too, dives into Major League Fishing, you know, where in Major League Fishing you've got 24 guys 
but you have an opportunity to fish really small, more out of the way bodies of water, and I think that's cool. I love I love smaller fields, and I love attacking some of these smaller lakes. It's a great chance to to get to great fisheries. It, I think because those fisheries will never get seen on national television, and they don't get fished probably that often by guys like you and uh, on the top level. But yeah. I guess the biggest problem with that is is going to be all the permitting and all the legalities associated with it, which uh, which is it, 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 it's tough all around. Because honestly, you want the, you want some spectator boats. I mean, that's such a unique thing to have those spectator boats uh, to shut it down to fishing and boating. Man, it, it, it is it is a tricky deal. But to be a purist in our sport, I mean, if you're really a purist and you want to say, who are the best anglers at being able to dissect the patterns and figure out the fisheries during that tournament, you're going to have to shut it down. Yeah. Because this this variable yeah. changes everything. So now it's not who's the best. It's who's the best and you got this little asterisk next to it because they didn't have a lot of boat traffic right because they didn't you know nobody followed Ch- them changes the dynamic or, or because cool. Randy Howe come from 11th place back to win it you know you know so that's what it it's now you know it's a, it's a bigger factor than uh, we've ever dealt with before and it's getting bigger yeah thanks for the call man let's go yeah. to Rebecca can we, get, can we get a shot of my wife here on the couch answering <laughs> some questions Bry let's get a couch shot hi hi Beck there she goes. Hi, Rebecca. And there's Crazy Chris. Hey, Chris. Uh, we got any more questions, Rebecca? It's not a lot of questions. It's just comments. Everyone's got, you know, thoughts, feelings. Um, actually, there's a good one here. Somebody made a point that um, the, these go so fast, though. The amount of economic boost that a tournament like the Classic brings to an area. It's very true. You know, should allow a lake to be shut down for a couple days. It's a thought. It's a good point. It's a good point. They talk about how many millions and millions of dollars the classic brings to those communities. So why not in turn shut those lakes down? That's that's a great point. I I, I can see that argument for sure. You know, um, it's a it, tough one, man. It'll change everything if it does get shut down. Yeah. You know, it'll uh, it'll it'll be back to a very competitive thing. It'll actually take take a lot of the touch and feel. Uh, I mean, a lot of people come to the Classic from all over the country. They trailer their boats. They va- they vacation around the Classic in order to be able to be out there and watch the pros, and then stay yeah. after and and fish themselves. You know, yeah. I guarantee there was there was a few on Randy's Bridge. Uh, there was after, probably a lot. There was probably the a lot. Classic was over, but uh, you know that's that's what a lot of, a lot of people do. So you'd be taking that away from them. Most, you know, the vast majority. I said the vast majority of those folks, man, they're just there to watch. They're they're trying their their hardest to stay out of the way, and uh, and I've heard and I, in in the classic show, I heard people get invited to go fishing all day, yeah. and uh, but I I heard a lot of people say no. There's no way in the world that I'm going to go out and fish on Gunnersville <laughs> during the classic. That's crazy. Brian Carpenter, we got another caller. Yeah, we have Josh from Louisiana. Josh, how's your it question, going, man? How you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. Now, um, I've been on the water. Uh, I've, I've actually been the uh, boat driver for Matt Pangrak, the Bazone guys, a couple of times, and I've been out on by myself and watched y'all. And I wouldn't even pick up a rod. But I know when y'all come back to Toledo this year, uh, the same weekend, they've got a top six tournament for the uh, local guys uh, in the state, and there's probably going to be about two to four hundred boats on the water fishing the same weekend that y'all are there. Wow. Mm. 
Wow. That that brings up a great point. And that happens so many times throughout the year, Pete. It happens over and over. That shouldn't happen. It should happen. You, you'd think, especially if it's a, a BASS-sanctioned event, which it sounds like this is you're talking about, there shouldn't be those crossovers. But well, it happens all the time. That should be like a regulatory situation. They, they sh- there should be only a certain amount of permits granted for any particular body of water to have a tournament. A lot of bodies of water do police it that way. So you can't, you know, be swamped with multiple tournaments going on at the same time. So that's a, that's unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate. That's uh, going to be a busy lake. It's, bi- it's going to be a super busy lake. Now, this brings up a little bit of a twist. Uh, I'm glad you had that question because my mind just spun. And I want to get your opinion on this, Mr. Brian the Carpenter in the back. What about this this theory of the sport eventually evolving to where there's referees on the water? There's officials on the water that act as barriers to keep the fans back. I'm talking about striped shirts, whistles. Think about yeah. this. This I, I'm not. This isn't. This isn't far fetched. They, they have Buck Rogers stuff going That's on here. That's a golf scenario. They have people golf scenario. all over the golf course roping people off, yeah. telling, telling them quiet where they can go, where they can't. Yeah. Brian, what do you think about what do you think about that, Brian? Hey, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about it. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about the evolution, and I think that's a really uh, an interesting next step. But if we go back in time, you remember the classics had press anglers that were allowed to fish. Oh, my gosh, they did. Yeah. They did. Back in the original classics. Uh, now, of course, the pros, you know, th- there's no fi- – I mean, there's an observer there and a cameraman, uh, but nobody fishes but the competitor. But back in the day, they used to have press observers with rods and reels. Isn't that unbelievable? And there was prizes for who <laughs> for who caught – Like well, a free Twinkie <laughs> for the press observer that caught one over five pounds. Uh, you know what I'd do? I'd probably give him a flying elbow in the back. <laughs> even if it was the guy, even if it was the editor from Field and Stream, I'd probably give him a flying elbow. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to do that. Right. And there was times when those press guys caught the lunker, and they and there was there was guys that were no tourists. I hope I don't draw that guy because that press guy fishes real hard all day, and they would catch the lunker for the tournament, and the pro would like get the split the prize with them or something. That's unbelievable. But, uh, that that's beyond belief. Do we have? Well, we're gonna take one more caller. Do we have one more caller, Brian? Yeah, we have DJ from Wisconsin. DJ, how you doing, man? Hey, good. How you doing, buddy? Good. What's your question, sir? Hey, I was fortunate enough to watch in the last couple of years when you were fishing up here in La Crosse on the Mississippi River. I'm kind of curious, what's the differences between fishing a river like this and a lake like Gunnersville? Great, great question, man. Uh, you know, lakes and, and rivers and uh, tidal water... They all have little differences, but there's a lot of similarities. So, you know, there's two things that come to my mind when you ask that question. The first thing is, at the end of the day, to me, and I'm going to let Pete answer this too, a bass is a bass is a bass. And in in terms of its seasonal migrations... I'm thinking the same thing, regardless if it's Gunnersville or the Upper Mississippi River. Uh, in the pre-spawn, they're going to be heading to where they spawn. In the spawning period, they're going to be on the flats. In the post-spawn, they're going to head to their summer pattern. In the summer, they're going to be deeper or thicker. You know, so those things are the same. The big differences to me on a place.
like Gunnersville and and the Mississippi River would be the areas where they do that. You know, in rivers and we both we both grew up on a tidal river, the Delaware River. The areas where they spawn are a lot more limited. Um, they're a lot more specific. A lake like Gunnersville, so vast, so many flats. Uh, but on the Mississippi River, current and 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 the habitat is such a big factor. So there's some of the big differences that I think about. What, what, current, what? you hit it. Current, current is is the huge difference. And Gunnersville has current, you know, but it's it's on a generation schedule and it, it's much less. And uh, but the current positions the fish and the, and the Mississippi River. Is running now. It runs hard at times and high, and, and it runs slower at times. But that, that that current is always going to be a factor that that you need to contend with, whether it's in the spawn where you're trying to get out of the current, or whether it's in the post spawn summertime where you're digging for that current. But uh, one of the similarities that, that is the grass. I mean, you've got you've got millflow grass all up and down that river system, and of course down at Gunnersville they have that. But hydrilla is hydrilla? Is, is a big key down there. Yeah. Um, but where the Grass is that's where the bass are, and uh, it's a really great fishery up there. On yeah, the you you got you're you're blessed up there, man. You got a phenomenal fishery. Take care of that thing, man. It's oh, you bet. We sure are. It's sick. I love it. Great question. Uh, let's look at the clock here. We're almost at 9:30. We got a very special segment coming up at 9:30. Uh, but one last time before I I'm going to leave for a second here, and before I do that, I do want to get our minds thinking a little bit different. You know, we've we've talked about the fans. We've talked about the fans getting out there on the water. We talked about the pros and cons of that. But let me step it up to the next level. And that is the fan that's out there that's in the rat boat, that's got the jersey, and he wants to be a pro. He's an aspiring professional. He's a hardcore weekend guy. He's a club guy. He's gotten to the point where if he's just out of college, he's 40, his kids are grown, he wants to make that jump to the pro level. I want to talk about that a little bit, Pete. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. But in addition to that... We're going to call to the plate our good friend of the show, Crazy Chris. We're going to switch seats here in a second. And Chris is, is one of those guys. I, I can tell you, and I'm ser- I can seriously say this, I've known Chris for a lot of years. He was in the original club that I fished for, Top Rod Bassmaster, Small Bow Club. And Chris is as good or better than than a lot of the guys at the Pro Tour. And th- and those guys are all over the place. I know you've got club guys that you fish with. Richie Schneiderite is a great example. These guys are good. These guys can compete. But at what point do you take the risk to make that jump to the pro level? That's a very, very good question. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make for a, a great topic because you know what? That question has got to be in the top five of questions we receive at the Bass University yep. every every time out of the gate. Yep. It, it, and there's a lot to it. It's a great we're we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in. We're going to take just a little bit of break. Brian DeCarpenter is going to jack some music for you here. And we're going to do something really exciting. Don't laugh. Don't nobody laugh. <laughs> we know what's coming.
Yeah, I got you. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're welcome. Welcome to the barber shop. <laughs> Whoa! They love the beard. Where where do you stand on that, Becky? I'm so excited this thing is leaving. How about you, Pete? Well, I, I'm I'm unsure. I kind of I kind of like it. What don't you like about the beard? I, I don't. It makes him look old. <laughs> I married a young guy. He looks old right now. I'm gonna be so excited when this thing comes off. Uh, that's pretty amazing. I'm watching her. I'm watching her do it right now. It looks pretty scary. How you holding up, Mike? Pretty good. Don't Not talk. Too don't talk too much. <laughs> that's that's it's a polarizing deal, but that's uh, that's for, that's pretty cool stuff here at the barber shop. But I guess we we were going to talk about or we started talking about. Professional angling, right? You know, when you take that, when you take that leap, and I know, I know you've been thinking about it for a while, because you know, I mean, I, Mike, now I haven't fished with you much, Chris, but Mike has a lot, and he is highly complimentary about your fishing skills. As a matter of fact, he sets your skills right up there. Well, he's too kind. He's too kind. But <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, tough transition at first. Um, the time, the dedication, the money. Uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, taking that risk to travel, put up the uh, tournament fees, fuel, the breakdowns. When you got no sponsors, it comes out of your pocket. Right. So you break down your truck, blow well, uh, lower unit. Well, that you know, let's let's just dive into the number one deal that you're you're talking about is the money. Is the money, yeah. Right. The money is 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 probably the biggest uh, biggest obstacle to to turning pro because we have a very cool, unique sport. As I'm trying to get my face in the picture here, <laughs> I'm in there. There, there. <laughs> is that better? I don't know. I can't see myself now. You you guys tell me. But the. Uh, you know that that's the biggest obstacle. We're like most other sports that you compete in, uh, you separate yourself as being one of the best, and you get drafted, and you get this really cool six or seven figure contract, and here we go, baby. But in bass fishing, when you separate yourself as one of the best, you get a whopping fifty to a hundred thousand dollar bill, right? Uh, which is which is the which is the biggest obstacle part. by most it's, guys. Yeah, it's the tempting part. But the realistic part is you want to try to do it. You want to try to make that transition and hope that you have success early. A lot of guys, including myself, you do real well at the local level. Mm-hmm. You're ready you know, to take that dive. But then when a couple things don't go well, now you're in debt. Now you're set back. You're kind of demoralized a little bit mm-hmm. and afraid to take that chance again. And then next thing you know... Couple years go by, five years goes by. Then you say, "Well, I'm getting older. Do I try it one time? Give it one good effort?" Well, you, you're hitting on a, you're hitting on a couple things that I think are, are really, you know, important to talk about, and and uh, one one of which is, you know, this this life that we're given, it, it's not a dress rehearsal. No, right? This is this is it. We get one go around. So, you know. Why you know if you, if the opportunity exists there for you to take a shot 
at, at going pro, if you, if the chance is there in front of you, man, you almost you almost owe it to yourself to to take that stand. And, and I know my good friend Joe Sancho, um, who just qualified for the elites, as everybody is is clearly fascinated by what's going on over there. I have to say, there's a lot of comments here, though. Uh, do you want to leave a goatee? A lot of people want to know. Do you want to leave a goatee? And uh, two. I think we're sending your hair home with Chris because people want to see hair jigs made out of hair jigs. Yeah. Gorilla back, gorilla back, hair gorilla jigs. Back. Gorilla back, gorilla back, hair jigs. It's one of the best winter jigs around. Gorilla back. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you? Does your chin hair float, or does it sink? Stand up, stand up, hair when it hits the stand bottom. Up? It's acting like pinchers. Oh, and also, I realize that's not his. Way. I know we're both dressed in black, but this is Carmela doing the shave. I. Do not miss Miss <laughs> <laughs> Carmel. Well, that's uh, you know that that's what you know. You owe it to yourself to take a shot. You know, yeah. Joe Joe's Joe's doing that. You know, he's uh he's a veteran of tournament angler, uh, veteran tournament angler. He's been doing it twenty years or more, and he's qualified through the opens. He's got invited to the elites. He's gotten some great backing uh, through his union that he that he represents. So he's going to have some great backing to get out there and really take an honest to goodness shot at it. And 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 why not in in that position? You know. When I was, when I qualified for the top 100, which seems like 100 years ago now, you know, I was I was an engineer. I had a, I had a college education from Rutgers. I spent five years as an engineer, and um, and I had somewhat of a safety net. And I, I always recommend that for guys to to do oh, because yep. you know the, the harsh reality of it is whether I don't care our sport's no different from all the others baseball football a lot of people are going to try it very very few make it are going to make it right right so to have a business that you develop that can support you to have a, a backup career uh, to have a career that you can actually work while you're trying to do this. That's a that's certainly a, a helpful thing. That's the way I tried to do it. A lot of people say you're you're not you're better off packing everything in and putting your whole self into this thing. Right. All uh, or none. All or none. Because you you know you, in order to be Ike and Kevin and all the rest, you know, you've got to be invested. Yeah. So timing's everything. I have, I think, I have a new I, way for you to make some money, Chris. Apparently, if you grow your beard and you shave it on a live webcast. People bid. We're up to twelve hundred dollars for this hair. What? Yeah, I told you. Five hundred. We're up to twelve hundred. I told you guys earlier. That is that skeet again? <laughs> <laughs> no, this guy's <laughs> <laughs> I think skeet still got his goatee hanging around somewhere, doesn't he? The, the billy goat. But like, take my take my story for instance. When I was younger, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you know, just had to work. You know, go to school, part time job. Mm-hmm. Fished all the time, you know. You do well in local tournaments. You do whatever you can to get the boat, the tow vehicle. You try for a few years, then then reality sets in, life sets in. You get a house, you get a full time job, you got family to take care of, and um, you kind of start getting away from it, start taking less chances. Mm-hmm. But then as you get older, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in two years. You say to yourself, well, do I try to do it? At least give it one good effort, one good shot to say I did it and have no regrets. Or do I go through the Federation, 
and work my way up through the levels just to try to get to the classic once or do I go to the opens which are more expensive but if you hit lightning in a bottle you know you can go the same year so. <laughs> if you hit lightning in a bottle you can be shaved live live I'm ready I'm ready I'm, live, baby. I'm the lightning rod y'all this is like Shark Tank on here because apparently the bidding is up to $6,000 but one guy said he'd give an offer for 1200 and he would sell the jigs and give you half the money. <laughs> oh, there you go. Roll it back. Roll it back. Where's our accountant? Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to get these guys credit approved. <laughs> we need to take that 6K, man. <laughs> 10,000. I think you need to make sure that your, your fishing is up to par as well. Yeah. Well, that that you know that's that's obviously you know that's a good point, Brian. I mean, we're talking about the the business side of things, but a lot of people don't realize what kind of dedication and commitment that it takes to be even in, in that conversation. You know, you're talking about weeks and weeks on the road, hours. I mean, sunrise to sunset, uh, countless countless time on the way. And it is. I it, we that is one of the loneliest. Times you can ever imagine. Right. I remember. I remember when I was first when I was first doing this. Help me out here. You gotta help me out. Uh, no laughing. <laughs> Stop laughing, Becky. <laughs> the uh, Mike's gonna get cut. <laughs> Oh, it's it's coming off. Who's under there? Does he look as does he look like you remember? It's coming back. It's coming back. Uh shoot. But that the, the time the time and effort put into it is is unbelievable and it's lonely. You're on the road. There's a lot of times when I was starting out, I'd be two, three weeks at a time. The only person I'd even talk to that it's costing you money. Oh, the whole time. And the only person you talk to is the person at the gas station right fueling up you know you just you're going to fast food yeah you know. you're developing your skill set you're developing your ability to make decisions man it, it, there is no substitute for the amount for the time on the water to do that and it's a lot yeah it's a it's a dedication that people don't understand you know they see the glory of you know getting your beard shaved and think it's real cool you know to have that kind of fascination and they, and they see but, people catching fish and they say and that they, happens all the time they see that they see them loading up and winning yeah. a tournament, and uh, the the amount of energy and effort that goes into getting yourself in that position is uh, is something that that shocks a lot of people. Yeah, it's, hard. it's very very hard to do. Yeah, yep. There's there's no doubt. You know that's what all the serious bass fishermen. That's what they they strive for. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great fishermen, especially in New Jersey, that could compete at the elite level, but just don't want to take that chance because it's too much of a risk. It all comes down to the money. It it does. But you know, one of the thing, one of the factors that that kind of pushed me over the edge is uh, I see blood, man. He looks. <laughs> I see blood. <laughs> Is is, is the fact that you're gonna? <laughs> there will be blood. Do we do we like it? <laughs> Stash. That's scary. Uh oh. We're almost done. But I think at some point, you know, Pete. I think uh, if you love the sport and you're really hardcore and you're serious and passionate about it, I think they're has to come a time that you have to try to make some attempt 
you don't have to go f- full into it and risk everything you own and your you know everything your future but you have to try to make some attempt even if and you do federation levels the rest of your year the rest yeah. of your life excuse me just to try to qualify that that's and I don't recommend I don't recommend throwing your whole self at it financially like that. No. Uh, you know I, I just heard a story about a guy from uh, Texas that that qualified for a high level and and he was asked if you know is he going to do it and he goes yeah and he, well how are you going to go about doing it well I'm I'm going to use my life savings and throw my life savings at it yeah. and um that is a risky risky proposition too much. and i don't recommend it no. I, you know yeah you have to try to develop way. a different way a different financial plan uh to to attack it but i honestly though when i did it I worked i put all that time and energy in and uh it was worth it because you're going to work at what you do more than anything else you do in this world. And if you're very, very fortunate, you get to love what you work at. Right. And that's, you know, even though the work that I do is hard and long and all of the pros, I mean, there's no, you never regret it. Like when you, when it's the morning, Monday morning, and you're driving to the launch ramp. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Success. There it nice. is. He's ready. Oh, what? You're leaving the stash? Here's the great thing. We've got all these. <laughs> We've got all these bins for the beer, and here it goes. We've got the shavings right here. There it goes! <laughs> gonna make some treble hooks, Mike, for top water. That's the beer! That's it. Then it's gone. Using a pop over the rocks, but when that smallie explodes, you get knocked out your socks. Slow rolling buzz and bass boats, kayaks, or crawdads. Jitterbugs at night, they're an old school tactic. But always a sure bet that a slaunch will attack it. Buds jets popping and waking along. Making big girls wanna jump out of their thong. A slammer can be twitched, cranked, or dead stick. Or pulled slowly on top until you hear it stop. The frog, the frog, it can't deny its power. Serious fish in the slop will devour the poor little Kermit or squirrel or live target. Twitch it through the grass and prepare for the hard hit. Feel that T-H-U-M-P Pop it off the bottom And drag it real slow You feel the tick, tick Then away we go Brown and clear water And black when it's murky They be eating your jig Like it's a piece of beef jerky Footballs in the deep rock Twisting jigs under dark dots Half ounce of spider grub Puts the big girls in the tub Swim it along with that Motorboat and sailor.
basket. When the spinnerbait bite is on, then it's on. When it's windy, it's like a fishing magic wand. Offer the points or over cool tail. Hold on tight when the fatties inhale. Crank baits popping off rocks and clear water. After weigh in, brag about how you caught her. I prefer a jerk bait in the colder weather. Perch pattern XR10 on the tail. There's a feather. Good old blade baits. Mr. Silver Buddy. Rip it off the bottom and the smallies go nutty. Fish a rattle trap with the slow yo yo. You and the big girls, toe to toe. Whether early in the season or whether it's late, you gotta find the fish that's gonna bite your bait. That's what makes fishing fun. There's so much information to the many different bites. I make this verbal dedication. Just don't matter when you bite the zone. Fish with confidence, strolling along when the bite is on. deal that was interesting uh i want to let everybody at home know that was my first straight razor shave ever 40 how old am i 41 years walking this earth never had a straight razor razor shave amazing and so first of all carmella rosa carmella thank you thank you for doing that shave carmella's at the Birch's Barbershop in Turnersville, New Jersey. Go check her out. She gives a mean shave. Awesome. Thank you for doing that for me. Uh, that, that was amazing. That was amazing. Oh, It was fun to watch. Yeah, and, and you can follow her on uh, Twitter and Facebook, of course. So go go check her out. That, that was an awesome shave. I'm, but, af- I'm afraid our topic of going pro got lost in the pandemic. It, it may have gotten lost. And, and we've got a little time here before Randy comes on. So I, I do want to jump back on a little bit. That's a tough decision. That's a tough decision, man. To go pro or not go pro. There's so many variables. And money, unfortunately, in this phase of the sport is still such a big factor. It's not a skill. It's not all skill. A lot of it's the, the right things happen at the right time. It's the money. You know what I mean? Right. Let me, let's go to the casting couch for a shot. Let me go to the casting couch for a full shot here. We've got another special guest that came in. Dave Brodzik, friend of the show. There's Dave sitting next to Chris. Say hi to everybody, hi, Dave. Everybody. Uh, Dave is another guy that, in my opinion, has the skills to fish professionally. But you decided not to do it. Why did you decide not to do it, Dave? What's your reason? I think what led to that decision was the wrong way of going into it in the first place. Yeah. Not following your template. 
trying to do it my own way. Yeah. Following your template, you both of you guys, when I decided to do this. Yeah. Leading up to it, everything I had done in my life, I had been better than everyone else, never the best, and I thought it would just parlay into that. And I went into it completely without a plan, just thinking I could go down to Okeechobee for my first tournament, an FLW event, and make something of it. Yeah. It's not the reality. You have it's, to have a plan. It's a t- you have to have a plan. It's a tough life. And you know, the other thing is, you don't have to be pro. I, I, all, all these guys, I have met so many friends that... You don't have to be a pro to love the sport and to still compete. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's well, not—it's not a necessary means to an end. You it, know, it's not. You, you can—I mean, we can love our sport and compete at any level. We've got tournaments that you know we you can make it to the classic through the federation. We all know that. And and my good friend Rich Schneiderite's been—you know—you know certainly has has the talent and the history and the the experience to be able to to do this deal. And uh, but he's opted to build business and and. And work his career and and fish fish the federation uh, level and uh, you know that's that's your choice you know it, yeah. it, but it's a, it it's fun both ways you know it depends on your passion I chose to make this stab be just like I was telling Chris that you're going to work at what you do more than anything else you do in this world if you're very very fortunate you get to like your work and yeah. I and I love my work yeah. and uh, and I feel very very fortunate and blessed that that I'm able to do this now for 17 years you believe that that's unbelievable. I can't believe it's been that long. What I could never put together: being away from home, missing Berks. A lot to it, right, Dave? Put it beyond beyond the diet. It was was the amount I just could never get. I can never feel comfortable being on the water. I always felt guilty. Yeah. I always felt like I'm spending an inordinate inordinate amount of money doing this. Yeah. The likelihood of success is is minimal. It's tough. Mm -hmm. It's tough. It's a tough life. It's not all roses. Let's take a couple questions. Do we have any questions or comments from people about? Taking the leap to turning pro. I don't, I don't think so. They're all still about the beard. But I like. Well, what? Yeah, we actually had some great comments. Okay. Um, John Hansen said, "Get a mentor to help you go pro, like I'm doing." The Bass University. Great, great point. I Rich Schneiderite was my mentor uh, yep. on, on the fishing, fishing part of the game, and and uh, and John is, is. I'm actually working with John Hansen, and uh, we're working on his, you know, fishing skills, his decision making. Uh, mentors, man, they're huge from the business side as well as from the fishing side. You know, there's people that have done it before you. Why not take advantage of, of some of that wisdom? Absolutely, absolutely. Any more comments? Oh, by the way. I love my my new look. I love my mustache. Can we get a close up? Um, I want you to know that Jenny Defoe, wife of Boss Defoe, thinks that you look like Pedro from Napoleon. Vote for Pedro. (laughs) (laughs) Vote for Pedro. Hey, here's a great question. Is there such a thing as too old to turn pro? That's a great question. Is there such a thing as being too old to turn pro? You know, I'm going to give you my opinion on it, and then I'm going to let everybody answer it. In this sport, I don't think that I don't think there is a such a, a thing as being too old. You know, it's it's one of the only sports where your athleticism and your physical ability doesn't matter as much. It's it's a lot more mental in this sport. Now, I mean, we talk. You know, if we're talking about eighty, ninety year old guy, you well, know, I think, it's tough. But I think Larry's Larry Nixon's eighty or ninety, and he just won a tournament <laughs> a couple of years ago. Sorry, Please, Larry, I'm just, I hope Larry's I'm just not watching. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I mean, Larry's. You know, he's got that experience, and he still is even. You know, he's a factor to win any tournament. Yeah. At, uh, and I, I, I'm imagining him in the sixties. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know his age. Larry's in the sixties. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, but. Yeah. 
uh, but I, I think this is one of the sports that age can actually be a good thing, right? Age brings wisdom and a lot of experience. It takes a long time to experience the things you need to experience to be able to make good on-water decisions. Some people are really good early in their career. Most most guys don't really excel till they get into the 40s or their 50s. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say yeah. that you might be more financially stable if you've got a wife and a family, you're in a position to take that? That's a real good point. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to comment about that because that's one of the things I'd like to see improved in our sport is where when you graduate college or high school, you can't afford a truck and a boat. No. Right? So you're stuck until you get, like Becky said, in your 30s, sometimes your 40s, where you can financially take care of a family, take care of your boat. More stable. Uh, it, yeah. Kids are grown. Sometimes That's, out of the house. Yeah, we need we need to find a, a home, maybe a triple A league or something for that that eighteen to to thirty year old, a place where they can hone their skills and compete without these massive investments. Maybe a hundred and fifty horsepower restriction comes back for that group or uh, something where guys can get out there for a boat that costs nineteen or twenty grand yeah. or, or ten grand. You know, I, I hope that happens. I, I hope, hope that's so. part of the evolution of the sport. We've got one more question, and then we're going to go to another segment. We're going the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes. Josh White wants to know, what should a college angler look for when making the transition? Wow. That's a good question. Josh asks, what should a college-level angler do when looking for the transition? You know, for me, I just want to comment and say the one thing that happened is, in my, in my life, in my experience, is that you know when you're ready to get to the next level. And the way you know that is your performance dictates it, right? I've always had that, man. I've had, you know, you start at the club level, you know, you, you don't do so good, then you start winning all the club tournaments, then you're ready to get to the next level. You mm-hmm. fish around the federation, you do okay, but then you start winning all the federation tournaments, you're ready to get to the next level. Your performance actually dictates when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not talking anything about the money, because that's always a big factor. Financial is always a big factor. Let's end it there. We're going to the next segment. Very right. excited. This one's uh, this segment happens to be brought to you by Ike's Tackle Box. And we're going to go to... Brian, what are we going to? Clip of the week. Clip of the week. Come on. Let's watch. Stand by. Stand by. Clip Stand of the week. By. Presented by Ike's Tackle Box. By the way, when you're done watching the show, go to Ike's Tackle Box and check out some of the stuff on there. You'll really like it. That shirt's on sale. It is. This shirt, in fact, is on Ike's Tackle Box. Clip of the week. Here it goes. Let's watch this. Look at that. I've been under that bridge. I know that guy. Tag. I'm telling you, look at that. Got one of the Auburn tags in him. See that Auburn right there? Good work, Auburn. This is him. <laughs> it can be scary once you realize you have a fish like that. Yeah! That's what you do in the first thing in the morning on Bassmaster Classic. 
That was that's awesome. That's a big one. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's why I had that feeling this morning. That's where I was supposed to be. And that line is frayed all to pieces. That gamma held him on, thank the Lord. It is torch. Excuse me, Chell's oh, watching yeah. it, man. Yeah. 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 Come on. Come on, Yeah. 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 Exactly like that. I've had nightmares where if this has happened, I'll lose every one of them, too. Man, all over this bridge today. They have been moved up. Don't do cameras there, Ross. This is a good day. Thank you, Lord. This is a good day. <laughs> That's the understatement of the century. <laughs> this is so awesome right here because you never get a crowd to be able to see you fishing. But from this place here, I got probably 70 to 100 people on this bridge watching me catch these fish. And it's a magical morning in the Bassmaster Classic. <laughs> we just need something found us now. Talking to a GoPro right here, not myself, y'all. <laughs> I am about to go crazy, but not quite that bad. Alright. That's awesome clip, man. What a what Amazing. a great way. Clip of the week. What a great way. That was awesome. What a great way to introduce our guests of of the month. Our guest, good friend of ours, good friend of ours. In fact, he's one of our speakers at the Bash University. Does amazing seminar presentations at, at BU. I guess he doesn't need a big introduction. He won the Bassmaster Classic this year. Won the 2014 Bassmaster Classic. Heck of a good guy. I, I I'm so happy for him. I know you are too. Let's just break right into it. Brian DeCarpenter, we ready? We are ready. Let's bring our official guests to the show. 2014 Bassmaster Classic champion, Randy Hell. Randy, what's up? How what's are you? up, guys? Welcome to the show, Randy. How you doing? Man, I'm fired up. I've been watching you guys and watching your beard getting shaved off. You got me all fired up now. I can't even go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we uh, you were introduced before you came on. We had Clip of the Week going, and it was the amazing GoPro footage to have from Classic. Me and Pete were sitting here, and we're, we're getting chills. I mean, that's the stuff that you dream about happening in a tournament. It is. How, how did it that is. feel? Tell us how it felt. I mean, it's almost surreal. You know, I've been there. It is. But, but I want to hear about it. It's so fresh in your memory. What was that feeling? Yeah, I, I'm, I was watching it on the on your show there on the computer before I walked in here and took the call. And, man, I, I'm getting, I was getting chills. My heart's running about 150 right now watching it again. Yep. Because it's, it is like it's surreal because it was one of those magical moments that, that you never know if you're going to experience them or not in, in your fishing career you know you just you live so many days with so many ups and downs and so many more downs than ups that when those days come along you just have to just enjoy them you know and savor them man and that's what you know and i and i could i, I enjoyed it that day but i probably enjoyed it more 
watching it after it was over with, watching the GoPro footage on Bassmaster.com, watching it everywhere, just because when you see it unfold and you see how it all comes together, and that's when it just makes it even more special. Absolutely. And uh, and while you were talking, we brought up, we've got an old picture of you up on the screen here, and it actually leads me into my next question, because, you know, you grew up in, the, in North Carolina, I grew up in New Jersey, but there's a lot of similarities, and, and I think, you know, that dream from when you're a little kid, and a lot of us had it. You know, we've got a couple guys here in the studio, Randy, that have had those same dreams from, from you know, being in high school, middle school. Uh, you know, you've had this dream for a long time, probably since you were a little kid. Tell us a little yeah. bit about, you know, your process of how you got into fishing and now winning the Classic. What it means, that dream coming true for you. Well, for me, man, it's a lot, you know, a lot like you, like you said, and I know Pete's in there, too. What's up, Pete? Hey, buddy. Um, You know, I grew up on Lake Gaston and Bugs Island down there, and you guys were just north of me a little bit. I guided as a kid, you know, when I started guiding when I was 12 and 13 years old there on Lake Gaston. My mom and dad had a little fish camp marina, you know, and I fished Red Man when it started at 16 years old and, you know, made the the regional the first year and tried to make it to the All-American. It took me a couple years and made it to the all-american when i was 18 and so all the way growing up through there you know i knew nothing but fishing that's all i did was fish and you know i played basketball in high school and you know dated robin and that was about it you know i just fished and all i wanted to do was be a pro bass fisherman and never thought about doing anything else and and uh and your story was so good you know that you wrote on bassmaster.com this week i really appreciated that and a lot of people did and, and it does kind of tell a little bit about the history of it you know this this is a a lifelong dream, yep. you know, come come true. You know, after 21 years of doing, I'm 40 years old, and you know, last year um, I, I, I really got where I was really. Everything we did was to just try to figure out how to get better, trying to learn how to win. What's it mean to win? What's it mean to to be to be great? I mean, I've been good for a long time, but I want to be great. You know, I want to do I want to do stuff that I know I was destined to do. And what do you do to get there? Well, you know, what's the process? What else can you do? And that's kind of where I've been for the last you know six months. You know, yeah. focusing, thinking about it, reading on the airplanes. Robin gets me lots of great books. I read this book called. Um, um, it was it's a John Maxwell book, and it's like sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, and uh, and it's all about failures, but learning from failures and learning from mistakes and learning how to how to make your how to think better, how to you know do right, you know do things to make things get better, and uh, and I'm really focused on that. And y'all know, you know, I'm, I wear my faith on my sleeve like Tim Tebow, so to speak, and you know, and it means a lot to me. And I know that has a lot to do with what I do and my 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 mission in life is about more than just catching fish thankfully but catching fish is what drives me to to for a greater purpose yeah you know so that so that lifelong dream man that's what it's all about all the years we work all the times we've been close you know and i, and I always thought one of these days um, i hope i would win a Bassmaster classic but but when i did i really thought it would be different i thought i would have it all figured out you know i thought i would have a great practice 
thought I'd have the, the pattern. I thought I'd like this tournament. I really thought I was going to get on a big school of fish somewhere. And I had the worst practice I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Had five bites in three days, man. And then, then for yeah, <laughs> it all, all come together like during the tournament. And then really, you know, just keep myself in the hunt. And then the last day to come out of there and, and actually win. And it, it blindsided me as much as it did everybody else. Yeah. I really didn't know, didn't expect it, you know. And I, I didn't even have time to take it all in until it was it was over with. And that's why amazing. I feel like it, a dr dream, you know. It's amazing when that happens. And it, you actually brought up a really good point. I, I'm going to pass it to Pete. We talked about this earlier before the show started. Is that fact of how this did come together for you during the tournament. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know if you knew this, Randy, I talked to Swindle after the event was over, and he told me that he, on the first day, literally camped on that same area where you really caught him for about mm -hmm. half the day and caught, like, one keeper in that spot the first day of the tournament. And then by the wow. third day, they showed up. And, and Pete, expand well, on that a little bit. Well, you know, it's something that we, we talk about. On, you know, you t it was a great thing that you said, Randy. And, man, congratulations. I know we exchanged emails and all, but I was crying right alongside you there when you came. <laughs> yeah. I, I was pretty Thank emotional. I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. But, uh, but we, uh, Mike and I talk about how to win. We That thing you said, how do you win? How do you get to that winner's circle? Because it's so, it's so hard to get there. And one of the things that, that kind of figured was, figured out was that you always seem to be on the developing pattern. The winds seem to come on the pattern that's advancing as the tournament's progressing. And, and uh, Mike just said, Gerald, fish that bridge, yeah. and those fish weren't there. They weren't there. Did, 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 you, did you practice on that bridge? Yeah, I, I fished it every day of practice, and I actually was running there when Gerald was leaving the first day. I saw him coming out of the creek when I was going into the creek, and I went right back in there and fished it probably after he did. And I, and I had a feeling he probably had been there too because me and him fished that same area and, and did well there years and years ago. And that was where he caught one of his big stringers in one of our tournaments back in the early 2000s. And uh, but the fish were there on the on the side stand on the ranch. You could see them off the drop, and they were piled up down there, and they were bass. And I knew they were because that was one thing in my knowledge of the lake. But I fish up there a good bit in the winter time that I learned that that area, all the all the shad in the in the creek pile up there because it's the deepest water, and they and they they survive that cold winter. All the shad died in the shallows, and the shad that were out there deep hung in that hole around the bridge. And then as it warmed up, they just start kind of moving down the riprap 15, 20 feet deep. The fish are just laying down there with them couldn't get them to bite anything i mean i fished for them every single day uh, the practice and every single day of the tournament i went down through there and tried to make them bite and that's the eerie that's the eerie thing about it how somehow i had a, i still had a gut feeling that they were big bass there and they were going to turn on i just had to be there when it happened and that that's how why it's so weird that it happened like it did that is, that is so awesome because 99 percent of the the population would practice and not be able to trigger those strikes and write that off and just say it's not happening. Write it off. It's such, mm -hmm. a, such a bold, such a tremendous decision, an on-water decision that, that that was so important. It was amazing that you made that. And it's a hard it's a hard thing to teach. You know, you can teach a lot of people about patterns and techniques, but that that mental side, that decision making process of gone somewhere where you never got a bite in practice, but believing in it, mm -hmm. that's a tough thing to do. 
That's tough. It is. It is. And you can't, like you say, you can't teach that. And when all the young guys that I go and speak at all these high school fishing teams and college teams in the fall, when they ask that question all the time, how do you how do you get better? How do you know when something's good? Or how do you know uh, what, what, what do you do to figure out patterns and lakes? You know, and I tell people all the time, if people knew how simple-minded my, my fishing is, they would they would not ask me that many questions really because <laughs> I, I and I use your, you Mike all the time as an example because you're you're a real a detailed analytical guy I know and you're real good with maps and good with a lot of stuff like that and I tell guys all the time that's two different extremes like Ike is he does all this study stuff and he's good at it and I ride along and I just look out there and I say you know if I get a feeling that's the place I ought to go fish I just turn and go over there and fish it I don't even look at a map in years all these maps the only map I look at is my Lawrence map on my GPS, and then I, as I get there, and I, a lot of times I feel guilty because I I, I try to do more in it when it comes to details, you know, and I do do a lot on internet with you know Google Earth maps and looking at that. But as far as contour maps, I've never been a good student of of, uh, of that, you know, and I've always been more of a, just a natural go with the flow kind of fisherman, and uh, and sometimes it helps, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. But one thing that I've gotten better at and it helped me and I'll tell you the story in a minute I don't know how much time we've got but what where I, where I, my fishing has turned around and gone to a new new level is when I lost uh, to Oneida by six ounces to board Duckett that was a turning point in probably 19 years of tournament fishing that it took for me to go to the level of, of being able to trust, you know, trust the, the instincts and trust the feelings that you get on the water. And uh, and because I led that event for three days, I had that event so planned out better than anyone I ever had. I had backup plans for anything to happen. And that day that, that uh, east wind blew down the lake and it messed up all the smallmouth schooling. And, and I, as I was getting ready to run to the other end of the lake to get out of the wind at 12 o'clock just as plain as day I, I saw the, the, the picture in my mind of a bay that I was supposed to go to and I just had that overwhelming feeling just like in the classic the other day that I needed to go there right then and I didn't listen to that I talked myself out of it because I knew too much I had too much knowledge I had too much reason and I said no it's windy over there it's not right so I, you know and I talked myself out of it and the whole time I was running down the lake I had a, just, a, just a grieving feeling in my, in my inside saying oh, I'm not doing the right thing and I just didn't trust myself so I didn't turn and go when I finally came back there with less than an hour to go I caught a four and a half three and a half and I had another hundred yards of grass to flip and I ran out of time and had lost by six ounces with four fish and that was a big that's the biggest loss of my life I mean that was that was the hardest breakdown I've ever had in the truck when we got in the truck drive away from that arena from that fairground that day I had just been told that I was going to win by all the media had already interviewed me saying I'd won and Boyd had already said he had 15 pounds and he had 17 instead and uh, all this happened and it was just, you know, I mean, I broke down in the truck right when I was driving out and I was just like, I, I killed myself almost because I knew in my mind what I had done wrong that day that cost me winning that tournament. I said, it'll never happen again. And when I went to, yeah, then when I went to Richmond, Virginia last year in that Northern Open, that same thing happened to me. I had that choice on the last day when my fish quit. I had the feeling to stay, to either stay and try to make it and force it to happen or I listened to my gut and run up the river and do what I was seeing in my mind to go do. And I listened that day and I went and did it. And I caught four pounder, three pounder, three pounder, and I, and I won by six pounds. 
So that's, that was my turning yeah. point. Man, what you're talking about is, like I said, it's the toughest thing to teach. It's that ability to fish the moment, you know, just go with what's happening now, letting go of your history. That's a really tough thing yeah. to do. But it's an important thing to do. Randy, we're going to open it up to some questions okay. here. We've got we've got some fans that want to ask you some questions. We're going to start with some okay. uh, instant messaging questions. What's a question, Beck? Hand us one for Randy. All right, start. We've got some fun ones. Okay, here's a couple fun ones for you. Randy, okay. where can they get that flat top? All right, Randy, we got uh, <laughs> we want we've got a we've got a hardcore fan out here that wants to know where can they get your haircut at? They they want Denny wants to know how can he get that flat top? I mean, because you've got it good. We've got, hey, we've got you, a I'm, guy in the I'm, room that had a flat sort of flat top back in the day, but you've got an amazing one. I've and, got. Hey, I appreciate that, but I, <laughs> I take pride in my hair. I appreciate. I take pride in that haircut, man. That, and that is uh, that is Mr. Joe. Joe Steele. He's 75 years old. He, he looks like he's 60. He's like a big time, you know, just an awesome guy, a world traveler. I've learned a lot, a lot of wisdom in that barbershop from Joe, and he has cut my hair for like 15 years. But since I've been in Alabama. And he's right. He's right. He lives a mile from Aaron Martin's house, and he's right at the Bass Pro Shops exit there. And I go off there and get a haircut every two weeks. And if I if I'm out of town for four or five weeks, it's really bad because it's bad. To get, I get some really bad haircuts <laughs> on the road. If you ever see me wearing a hat, very much, you know I had a bad haircut. <laughs> so, now, so, now, so now that you won the classic, we can't expect a new haircut. <laughs> no, I can't do anything with his head, man. I, he's, he's a master. He, he knows how to fix it and make it look right. It's it's really jacked up underneath that pretty yeah, area I'm doing. We, we could bring in a jersey and give you the uh, Paulie D jersey shore haircut. That would look good on you. Yeah, you I don't know spikes? what that was. I, I had the worst. The last bad one I had was right there in, uh, right there in Syracuse, south, in south side of Syracuse. I rode barbershops for like for an hour one morning looking places. I finally stopped at one, took a chance, and the guy, I don't know, the guy's name was Benny. He said, hey, Benny. I said, Benny. He, said, hey, he, said hey, he said, hey, Benny, you cut this guy's flat top, man. Come on, man. Give me my haircut. And so he comes over and he had like tattoos all over him. He comes, oh, dude, I can cut your flat top, man. Come on, sit on down the chair. And he started, he started cutting my hair and I started sweating and I could tell the way he was chopping at it. He didn't know what he was doing. And I'm like, and then, then they start. Then he called him back up. He called. He called uh, Jesse over there. Jesse, Jesse, come and give me a hand with this this flat top, man. This thing. Yeah, and it was like oh, it was like something on TV. It was terrible. And uh, and they, and, I, and they were they were so bad. I went back and I just shaved it all off at the campground and I put my hat on for like three days. I mean, not, not three weeks. but not three days. Uh, props to Joe for the for the amazing flat top. We got another question for you. Give me another one back. What do we got? Gotcha. Okay, Randy, we've got another Randy question. Uh, and they want to know, why would you go with that crankbait color? You know, I know you threw a Livingston, you threw a little bit of a Rapala, but you were really keying in on that, that red. That red was a key color for you. What prompted you to throw that color in the Bass Mr. Classic? And, and, and that orange, that real bright orange, you know, hue to that red that's in your bait, the demon color, and in the in the Gunnersville red Livingston bait, both they're real similar, but the key in that was that, that orange and that muddy water. Um, I wasn't getting on that until the water got really stained, and then that's what made that whole 
place turn on was that mud that came in the first night of the tournament in the back of the creek. That was a 65-degree rain, and that rain, you know, washed into that 50-degree water and turned it, you know, 58, 59 degrees. And the color was the key to for the fish to just see it, I think, in that, that water. So I already threw the shad colors. I threw my favorite, you know, white, pearls, you know, uh, chartreuse, homer colors, blue, you know, blue chartreuse. I couldn't catch them on those colors for some reason in that water. And as soon as I tried that color, um, I mean, they were just, they were eating it. You know, a lot of the, you can see on the video, a lot of them were just choking on it. Yeah, we just pulled up. We've got a picture of, of that color U, the, that orangish red. Man, that's mm-hmm. that's the deal. That's that's the ticket. You, you, you heard my you you heard my stories of the night at the Champions Toast. A lot of you know, nobody else probably did, but it was funny at the Bass University. I don't know if you, you probably didn't tell Pete, but two like I think it was two years ago at the Bass University I worked with you guys. It may have been Nashville, and um, you were given you were given free DT sixes out in that demon color, and uh, and I was and you know and I was there working, and you, you know I probably didn't supposed to tell you, but you know the the speakers probably don't supposed to take the free lures, but, uh, but I, snuck, I snuck like I snuck like four of them out in my bag that day, and I, you know I traded. I gave y'all some of my stuff, you know, too, but I, we, but we I kept them like that. Invoice. We do want to take full credit for your win, though, now, after we know yeah, that. Yeah, of course. That, <laughs> that is, that is right. awesome. We are so proud to even have a little piece of, of the classic <laughs> tied to yeah, it. Yeah. That, that is awesome. And we, we love having you speak. Uh, we got another question. By the way, can we can we lock you up now for next year's Bash Universities at last year's race? <laughs> 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 we'll talk yeah, about that off yeah. camera. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. with the next question back. What do you got? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, James Strickland wants to know, would you call it a gut feeling or a lucky guess? And, and Randy, we get that this all the time. You know, is there yeah. luck involved in fishing or is there more to it? Well, I think there's more well, to it. Yeah, we 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 know the, all of us that do it all the time. We know it's more to it, but uh, but but to me, like I said before, you know, it, everybody's got their own opinion, and I, you know, I wear my faith on my sleeve. I know from my feel, my own, you know, my own heart. I know that you know God's in control of what I do in my life, and I because and I put Him in control. When I get the feeling something tells me inside to do something that's overwhelming like that, I know it's Him leading me for something better that, that I need to be doing. Doing what, what I'm hearing from him, and that's where it's coming from. You know, it ain't, it ain't no audible voice or nothing weird like that. But it's just when you when you do, you, you live the life I try to live. Things happen for a reason, and everything is is ordered by God, I believe. And I when I for me, and when I hear and feel something, and that gut feeling, that's an instinct that that I've developed through my relationship with God and with what, what I do on the water and my fishing, and all, and all just kind of comes together. And, uh, and when when then when you go and you, you act on it and then it then it works that powerful and you see how how it happens so magical, you know, it's no arguing with it. You gotta you gotta believe it and you know and you gotta do it. And uh, so that's the way I would say that, you know, we all know in fishing luck luck washes out in one day yeah. typically, you know, and after three or four days of events, you know, the lucky guys usually have the money by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luck, luck, yeah, luck in my opinion plays very little part, man. We talk about this all the time. But uh yeah, in a one-day tournament, it, you, you can, but not not in a multiple-day one. Not, not, not in the long run. Well, Randy, I, I, I want to tell you, man, 
from the bottom of our heart, we 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 we, we want to wish you the best luck with this classic win. Uh, we, congratulations! We know, yeah, congratulations! Awesome. We know yeah. you're going to do a good job with with the win, and you're going to be a great champion. And uh, it was awesome to watch it. You know, we all want to win, but uh, when we don't, it's nice to see a good guy win. And you're a good guy. And thanks. <laughs> well, I thanks appreciate it a lot. Show tonight, man. One of our it means a lot. Means a lot for you guys to have me. I appreciate and enjoy working at Bash University with you guys. I hope to do more of them uh, next year. And uh, really means a lot that y'all wanted to have me on the show and talk about the win. And man, I, I hope that I'll do a good job and represent our sport good. I hope and uh, hope we can have it. We can do it some more this year. I hope. Yes, sir. You'll do a great job, Randy. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on tonight. Hey, thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right, All take right, it buddy. easy. There we have it. Uh, Randy Howe. Randy Howe. Nicely done. Randy Howe. Man. Huge what win. an awesome Huge. win. What an awesome win that was. It was the first time in history anybody has ever come from 11th place from that far back. to win the tournament. It's been done three times yep. out of 10th. Yep. First time out of 11th. What a monster bag. Almost a 30-pound bag, man. It's, it's awesome. It gives me chills. I mean... I don't know. <laughs> That's a good call. I don't know. That's a good know. question. A lot of people didn't know. He sent all, I don't know if you heard this, but he sent all of his people to another bridge. But he, at the last minute, made the, made the decision that he was going to go to the Spring Creek Bridge. So all his peeps were at a different bridge. But they, they eventually found him. Yeah, I guess the cell phone age. Smartphones travel fast. Unbelievable, unbelievable. We're going to take just a small break. And when we come back, we're going to do... The Bass University Tip of the Month. Outstanding. Bass University Tip of the Month. We'll be right back. Maybe not. Maybe we're staying right here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to stay right here. We're not going to take a break. Uh, Let's jump right into it. Let's go to the Bass University Tip of the Month. And, you know, the Bass University Tip of the Month... If you don't know about BU, go to the Bash University website. It's thebashuniversity.com. Man, what a cool site. We've got classes all over the country, and we've launched a new thing that's coming really, really soon, Bash University TV. And that's going to allow you to learn a lot of stuff right from the comfort of your own house, too. But every month, we're going to take a tip or a question from one of the Bash University students, and we're going to do it live on air. So, Pete, what, what's our question this week? We've, we've well, got a student that had a question. Well, the, the question was that the, the, the everybody, all the pundits were picking the lipless crankbait to win this tournament, and uh, it didn't. It did. It was one by. It was one on a crankbait, and the crankbait was dominant. Uh, and and uh, I guess, the question was, well, why, why didn't the lipless crankbait win this tournament? Why didn't it perform well? It's a great question. It's a great question. So I've got, I've got a couple theories, and, and then uh, we, we need to talk about this a little bit. You know, the lipless for me, man, when that water's super, super cold, and especially when it's more, it's totally flat grass oriented, is a dominant player. But as that water warms, and those fish get a little more active, it seems like those lip models come into play. And then you mix rock. With that scenario, which when you look at the video, a lot of the guys fished around Rock Foe, Randall Tharp a little bit, and then, of course, Randy Howe. When you get around that rock, that lipped crankbait, 
is is way better than the lipless. Way better. There's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. What do you think? Well, I, I think it is, and uh, you know, I really think that the 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 cold water, the falling water temperatures, put fish in that negative mode. They're yeah. hard to trigger the strikes. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the lipless crankbait is so awesome. Yeah. I mean, it can take a fish that is difficult. To catch that you know is is cold and and his body is temperature is dropping and it, it can just get a reaction strike out of him in a way that no other bait can. Yeah, you know so that that's what makes it really special. In this scenario, what do we have? We had 65 degree rain. We just heard Randy say. Yeah, it was 65 degree rain pouring into that Gunnersville. What air temperatures were in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, we were out there in t-shirts, so we had a warming trend going on, and uh, when that happens. Everything opens up, mm-hmm. right? Everything becomes a player. Uh, from jigs we saw being effective, some flipping baits uh, started being real effective. The crank bait was real effective, and the chatter bait, the the vibrating jigs, were a huge deal. Second place yeah. came on a vibrating jig pattern, and uh, and I, I believe that you know I believe that it all had to do with the direction that the water temperature is going. I don't really care what temperature it actually was, and, yeah. and a lot of my fishing, I've I've learned that it's, it's more important in the early season whether it's going up or whether it's going down. Right, that's the most important thing. Yeah. And I think if that water temperature would have stayed cold and dropped, I think that lipless, lipless bait would have won that tournament. You know, but what, you know what's the other way? They call the lipless bait an idiot bait. <laughs> they call it an idiot bait because you cast it out and reel it in. Do you agree with that? <laughs> well, I, I, would, I agree. That's what they call it. That's what they call it. I don't, I don't, I don't I, agree. Brian, Brian the Carpenter, can we get? Let's get a couch cam here. I want to. I want to get uh, Chris and Dave's opinion on this because I know Chris has got some thoughts on the on the lipless. We call this an idiot bait. We fish a lot of events here in South Jersey. What about some of the retrieves, Chris? Uh, one of my favorite techniques is the yo-yo, the pumping. Yeah. Throw it out, give it a quick snap. And 95% of my strikes doing that technique on the fall. David Walker used that technique to yeah. great success yeah. early in the Classic when the water was cold. Now, I, what I really want to know about, though, is the La Torch Steady Retrieve Factory Hooks. Yeah, the Torch. You, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows this guy. Listen to me. Here's the guy. He goes to, to Tackle Warehouse Dicks, wherever he goes. He gets the bait. He pulls it out of the box. It's a saltwater rattle trap with the silver anodized hooks on it. He freaking ties it on an ugly stick with 50-pound fluorescent yellow string on it. He holds a spinning reel upside down and just burns it. He burns it straight in. And he comes in with a 5 and a 6 and a 7-pounder. And you're out there finessing. You're doing all the right stuff. Glass rod, that that, that beautiful... What what the hell is that all so about? about the yeah. Indiana Jones uh, grass whip whipping yeah. the grass whip. Yeah. You gotta love that, right? Yeah, swinging the black death, <laughs> slapping the water. But what in the hell is <laughs> that? If fish are aggressive, that that'll that will work most of the time. But I can't take that, man. Yeah. La torch. I can't stand it. Blowing that, you know, that technique usually works most of the time. Yeah. But if that wind is it's slack and it's glass, yeah, that yo-yoing. Bottom bottom line is there's lots of different ways that you can be successful with that. Slow rolling it down deep, uh, you know, of course ripping it out of the grass, uh, you know, burning it through schooling fish. It, it it it's an idiot bait because you can just throw it out and wind it in and catch fish. But to be really good at it, I mean, you have to learn all those different techniques. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it, it it's a great bait. 
be, like you said, best in falling cold water temperatures. It seems to really shine. Yeah. Yep. That water surface. But I, in Gunnersville, when it was, remember I told you a story years ago, I was pre-fishing, in that 20 degree temperatures, everything was frozen, and the fish in Gunnersville were taking the rattle trap so deep that you couldn't see the bait. And that, that's the best thing ever when they take that bait so deep, choking on it, yep. and it's freezing cold water temperatures. But, Unbelievable. Uh, but I hope we answered that question, and uh, we appreciate that question coming from the Bass University. That's a great question. So we're gonna keep we're gonna keep this question and feedback thing going. Brian, put up on the screen, put up our one eight hundred number, our toll free number, and we're gonna ease into. The next segment, which is a great segment. It's a great part of the show because part of the reason for the show is fan interaction, right? Mm -hmm. We want their feedback. So we're going to kind of ease into the next piece, which is the fish heads segment brought to you by Fishity. Is that on my list? I don't know if it's on your list. The fish head segment, and it's our call-in segment, man. Uh, we want you to call in. If you look on the screen right now, you're going to see the phone number. Call that number, or you could always instant message in right through the through the live stream on the website. Call in with your questions, man. We talked about a lot of really cool stuff in this show. We talked about fans out on the water while the class has gone on. Is that right? Is it wrong? Uh, we talked about... My beautiful mustache and how I kind of look like um, Magna P.I. a little bit. Vote for Pedro. Uh, Pedro. Uh, we had a lot of great feedback with Randy Hale. And then, of course, we ended with talking about lipless and, and, and crankbaits. So call in. We want to talk about some of those some of those segments. Uh, I have something to talk about. Yeah. Real quick. I mean, this is a Bass University corner. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to the folks at the Tulsa Sports Commission and the Grand River Dam Authority who brought us to Tulsa this year yeah. and are going to bring us back to Tulsa for the next two years. And... Uh, and on that note, I just want to mention, you know, coming from my part of the country, I hadn't heard much about the fishing in Oklahoma until last year's Classic. And when I got out there, I just I was absolutely blown away at that fishery of Grand Lake, of the the massive amount awesome. of bait. It's awesome. The massive amount of four to six pound bass that awesome live in fishery. that lake. And it, to me, it was kind of it was kind of unknown. So we're looking forward to you know letting the rest of the world know about Grand. I know the Classic did a great job of that, and and we're gonna we're gonna continue to visit. Visit Tulsa and uh, and teach, you know, at the Bash University there, and we really appreciate you guys having out. Look forward to working with you again in the upcoming years. Absolutely. And so here's I'm going to throw a bonus out here. The first caller, which I think we already have on the Fishhead segment, is going to get a prize package presented by Fishity. Let's take a look at what we got here. So for this first caller, before you hang up, we're going to get your name and number. We've got a Fishity hat. Autograph. Autograph. We've got a fishity t-shirt. Nice. And look at this. A lipless bait. <laughs> How appropriate. We just talked about it with the fishity logo on it. That actually might draw them in. Factory hooks. Factory hooks. <laughs> Factory hooks. They retreat. No, they're not. No, they're, they're good hooks. That's a Pete Glusa hook on there. Oh, they're the EWGs. That. That's All right, so for our first caller, we've got a good gift pack. So oh, here we go. What have we got, Brian the Carpenter? You've got Mike, and he tells me, say, hair jig. Okay, Mike, what's up? What's your question, man? Hey, what's going on, buddy? How you doing tonight, man? Good, man. How are you? Good. I'm bleeding, but I'm okay. Ah, well, you know what happens. <laughs> what's your question, Mike? Hey, uh, I just want to talk about uh, what type of modifications you might have made in the classic when uh, you know after day one and then going into day two, just between. Yeah. You know. 
that, what's that, going on? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you, you know, it, it's tough because... You know, you go into that tournament with a mindset to try to fish to win. The first day of the Bassmaster Classic, I had seven bites. Of those seven bites, I put five in the boat. And four were keepers, one was a short. And the two bites I lost the first day were both over four pounds. So going into the second day, you know, my mindset was if I put all five of those big bites in the boat, I've got 20-plus pounds, you know. My, my mindset is I'm on the right track. I'm getting the right bites. I just got to put them in the boat. And unfortunately, Mike, the second day I had six bites, and I only put one in the boat. It's really hard. It's heartbreaking to think about it. The other five bites came off, and you know, it, were you using stock hooks? I yeah. wasn't using fast hooks. No, <laughs> right. I didn't do with it. And it was just. I guess one that's of really those, the question: Is did you make any modifications for that day, actually tackle wise? Did you switch out your hooks? Was it a bait change? You know, is there something that you can put your finger on besides yourself that says, on the second day, this is what happened? Yeah. Uh, a lot I, of times with the fish coming off. Yeah. It's it, it's either user error or it's equipment. It's, period. Yeah. Well, I think it's a. Little little bit of both, man. And if I had to put my finger on the one thing, it was stubbornness. You know, and I, I hope you listened earlier when we had Randy on. He talked a little bit about, you know, fishing the moment and, and fishing the current conditions and keeping an open mind. Right. I Never chase goes. Yeah. I think, Mike, what happened to me after that first day is I was so stubborn that I, I felt like I knew the fish were in these areas. And I did change in those areas. I tried moving up and down. But my mind wasn't open enough in that tournament. I was... I I was a little too narrow-minded, you know, and that was ultimately the downfall. It wasn't wasn't losing the fish; it was not being open-minded enough. And and it's a tough thing because human nature, you want to go back and fish your history. You know what I mean? That's human nature. You want to go back and fish positive reinforcement. And uh, kind of kind of a difficult question. And don't get offended at me, but uh, do you think that? Going into, I know that, you know, from, say, Oneida on at least, you said to me personally that your goal was to make the classic and you were going to do it and you were going to go into it. So you had a, a mind state early on of a drive and, and, you know, something that was building from last summer on. Yeah. And probably even at the beginning of the season on, every season I'm sure it builds for you like that. But I know in particular that from the middle of the summer on, your goal was that. And a few weeks later you accomplished it. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe that had something to do with, you know, getting stuck in, you know, you're, you're building for so long that... It, it could, it could. I mean, what you're what you're bringing up is, you know, honestly, um, I'm glad you're talking about this because we're going to do a show, Pete, here in the next couple months, where we're actually going to bring in a sports psychologist into the show, and you know, a lot of what you're talking about is the mental side of the sport. You know what I mean? You know, right, uh, that's and very it's, important. It's, yeah, it's really hard to put your finger on the subconscious and motivation and stuff like that. You know, unless you're, you know, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard for me to put my finger on it because I, I don't know what's going on up there sometimes. You know, so well, you, you do a good job of it. Yeah, the I, mean, I, I know personally from the Bass University a few um, now over a month ago in Edison, you and Gerald Swindle both were really big on 
you know, that side of it, the mental side of it, yeah. what what's important upstairs more yeah. so than anything else. It, it's a tough it's a tough thing to learn, but uh, but you know, it's it's part of fishing. Mike, thank you for the call. Mike, great line, great point. Stand on line. We're gonna get your information. That's a good point, Pete. The mental side of the sport. Well, you know what? Thanks, hey. guys. Have a great night. Thanks, thank man. You. Hair jigs. Hair jigs. Thanks for coming. Hair jigs. Hey, hey, New Jersey. I'll see you soon. Hair jigs, baby. <laughs> Yeah, the the mental side of it is everything. You know, when everybody at some point, you know, once you develop your skill set to where you can flip effectively and and do all the skills, you're good at finding and patterning fish. But boy, I mean, it really it comes down to what's between the ears to making those yeah. key decisions fearlessly. Yeah, and that that's the thing because you know you fear just tightens you up. It yeah. tightens you right up, and you're scared to go to that bridge that Randy went to. You know, because you didn't catch anything there in yeah. practice, you're scared. You got to be fearless. You got to be not willing to to go with your gut, willing to take that risk. And that's it's between the ears. It's so important, and it's it's so hard. Everybody's different. Everybody yeah. responds to it differently, and uh, it's hard to teach. Tough thing, the metal side. And when you wake up in the morning and you check your live well, and you got a, du- a dead mud shad in there, smell like shit, then it's even worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? That really messes you up. You don't want a dead shad in your live well smell like shit. No. Uh, we're gonna go to a we're gonna go to an instant message uh, question. Uh, we've got one Becky. We've got a question. Why is John McGraw's head on the? That's a bad question. Uh, <laughs> I caught her. You know what we didn't talk about while she's fishing for a question? The we didn't talk about the rising water levels at Gunnersville. Uh, and that that impact on that tournament, um, and it was such a, huh. you know, it was such a factor in scattering those fish off of those grass beds. It drove bite, it drove a lot of the bite shallow, and it may very well have been the reason why those fish that Randy was catching uh, got activated. Is those those rising water levels? It came up a foot and a half. I heard. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was. I think it had a, a pushing effect on those fish, mm-hmm. and they either were moving into those areas or moving out of those. Areas based on that push happens all the time. We got a question back on it's on instant feedback. He wants to know if you're going to be at the Bass Cat Owners Tournament this year. I will be at the Bass Cat Owners Tournament That's this, this year. This month. It is this month. It's at the end of this month. I think it's uh, the last Friday and Saturday of March. I believe it. I believe you're right. It is in Mountain Home. We'll we'll see you there. That's going to be a good event. David from uh, Wisconsin wants to know when the Ike Rods are coming out. Good question. Good question. And uh, look, can we zoom in on that? Here, give that to Brian, and we'll zoom in on that. Uh, if you look, if you look right up here, actually, let me stand up here for a second. I'll give everybody a sneak peek here. There goes one right there. I'm, I'm just going to give you a little, uh, everybody, a little sneak peek. Brian, can we get a little crotch shot there of this rod? Here's here's one of the the it's still not a finished sample but that's one of the new that's one of the new Ike rods right there by Abu Garcia going to be coming out officially at ICAST this year. Is that right? So middle July, keep your eye out for it. 15 rods, five spinning, five graphite casting, and here's the one I'm most excited about. Five glass composite rods for crankbait. I'm very excited wow, about that's that. That's a lot of glass. A lot of glass. Let's take a caller. Yes, we have another caller. I'd also like to apologize to Mike, who won a package, and then I hung up on him. <laughs> Sorry about that, Mike. Technical Hair jigs. difficulties, Mike. We have uh, Josh Waters from Georgia. 
Josh, how you doing tonight? Uh, pretty good, brother. You doing all right? Doing good. What's your question, sir? Uh, me and I, uh, me and me and my best friend actually made the travel out to uh, Gunnersville this this past weekend to watch y'all in the classic. Man, we was out there rooting y'all on every morning. Uh, and it's kind of, I guess it's kind of referencing to the last caller with the mental thing. Uh, day two, man, we're out there rooting y'all on. After y'all left, we took off. We're gonna go follow a couple of y'all, and my freaking motor locked up on my boat. So. Mm. Then not an hour later, my freaking trolling motor tears up on the boat. I know your whole saying is, you know, never give up, never, you know. My thing is, how do you pull yourself? Where where does the motivation come after that? You know, how do you pull yourself from just getting... Wow, great great question, man, because I think we've all been there. We've all been there. I mean, everybody, if you fish... You've been there. You've been there, you know, from from a John boat and chopping your shaft too short in your trolling motor to, uh, you know, to to these big $50,000 and $60,000 boats. We've all been there, and that's the toughest thing in the world to do. I'm going to answer, and then I'm going to give it to Pete, because the interesting thing, dynamic, Pete and I have gone on, is I think we, we handle those things a lot different. And, and so, you know, for me, I, you know, there's there's a couple things going on in my mind. And the one is, you know, I, I'm a passionate person. And when that stuff starts happening, I'm like burning up inside. You know, I'm like, I'm like devastated. And one of the ways I deal with it is to kind of get rid of it real quick. You know, to kind of like let it out. Break stuff. N- not necessarily break stuff. <laughs> Quiet back there, Brian the Carpenter. <laughs> not necessarily break stuff, but like get get it out. You know, get that frustration out, and then just get on with my day and figure out a way to try to keep going. That's that's the technique that I use, and I'm not saying that's the right technique, but that's the technique I use. And I know Pete handles it a little bit different. Uh, you well, know, you've I, been. I, I do. Everybody's different, and you got you have to learn how how you're going to handle that situation if i if i lose it like i've seen my partner over here do it <laughs> i i lose it for the rest of the day i'm gone i'm toast so i have to keep my composure and the way when i and like we just talked about every single person in tournament angling ha, is in that scenario you're going to have your motor break your trolling motor break something bad's going to happen and it's those guys that can deal with that the fastest and the best that are going to excel because it, it's everybody. Everybody has it happen. So what I look at is, okay, I've lost my, my outward motor. Now I'm dealing with a certain set of parameters. All right, I have a trolling motor that works. You know, I'm, I now I can fish. I can call for help, let the help come and get me. But I can fish in this certain area. I try to assess the area I am. I'm in. Try to maximize that. If I lose the trolling motor, I develop a drift strategy of some sort that can be beneficial. But you, you have uh, there is opportunities that exist wherever you break down, and you have to immediately forget about your your, your game plan. Just get rid of it. It ain't happening. You're not getting to that spot first. You're not going to get to your primary fishing hole. The quicker you can let go of that and start just fishing the moment where you're at, the better off you're going to do in that event. And and you, it, you're never alone. Just remember that too. You're not alone. It happens to everybody. It's just your turn. It does. It happens to everybody. That was a great question. And I want to uh, thanks for that question. I want to transfer it to Brian the Carpenter real quick and tell a story real quick. He was coming in with the winning bag, 
on a, a, a club tournament called Rapopo Creek, oh. and his trolling motor died. And so he's literally paddling in, paddling in, trying oh. to make it back to the ramp. And he beat the trolling motor to death with the paddle. Do you remember that? Look, let's get the bobblehead out. This is actually, let's get a, let's see if we can get a close-up of that. This is, this is actually a sculpture. This is Brian. This is actually him. That's Obama. No, it's not. It's Julian Roberts. He just beats the trolling motor. Good question. We got another instant uh, instant messaging question there, Rebecca. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's start with Seminole. I didn't hear that comment. <laughs> let's start with Seminole. Uh, Lake Lake Seminole. Right. Repeat those questions. They were absolutely. So the first question we had was talking about Lake Seminole uh, and, and my thoughts on Lake Seminole coming up. So it's, it's a week away. You know, my thoughts there are uh, Lake Seminole is a great lake. It's a grass lake. Um, I, I'm excited because I've won there before. Uh, actually, uh, you know, one cranking, which is one of my favorite techniques. But it all depends on that water temperature. The big scenario going across the whole country right now is it's a tough winter, right? It's a late spring. Everything's Things behind. are slow to warming. So I see Lake Seminole shaping up to be a pre-spawn staging kind of term. That's my opinion on Lake Seminole. Well, I would have to agree. I, I mean, I've fished Seminole quite a bit, and it's uh, it's going to be behind. All of our lakes and rivers are going to be behind with this snow melt, this runoff. Every, everything's going to be slow. A lot of times they spawn that time of year in, in March and in, in historically. So yep. I would have to say that you're right. Yep. And then the second question was talking about the Delaware River. Uh, and, 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 you know, coming off the stage uh, the second day at the Classic, you know, I was frustrated and, and, and did make a comment what about did Delaware. You say? I just said I'm going to win the thing. And, you know. <laughs> is that it? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I would have. Wow. Look at that. Look at that picture there. Who is that? I don't know who that is. Who is that guy? That's, that's the winner of the Delaware River. That might be the winner of the Delaware River right there. Vote wow. That's Pedro. that's scary. Vote for Pedro. Uh, you know, that's. that's a, and I know I'm getting roasted a little bit for those comments, but it does bring something up, which I'll, I'll talk. I'll let you guys. I want you guys on the casting couch answer a little bit. There's a fine line between, you know, being cocky and being confident. And you got to have confidence to, to win. If you don't believe you can win, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. What do you think about that, Chris? No, confidence is everything. Yeah. Especially if you're pulling an area and there's other boats around there fishing. Knowing that you can go behind these guys and catch them. Yeah. Dave, give me a different point of view. You're you want you're a big big follower of UFC. That stuff happens all the time over there. Guys talking smack, but confidence plays a big part. Whether you're a, a you know a wrestler, a fighter, a fisherman, you got to be confident. I, well, you have a little bit of a stronger point uh, with, with saying you might win this because of the type of fishery that it is. This isn't your normal place. These guys are going to be in for a really rude awakening. Foot <laughs> swing. Yeah. They're going to spend time practicing areas that aren't going to have any water on it for two and a half hours of the day. Yeah. And they're going to waste a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. It's, it's unlike any other title picture these guys have ever been to. Let me tell you, man. If it revolves around shopping carts, syringes, juice jugs, and dead bodies, I'm a badass on that fishery. <laughs> <laughs> we got another caller, Brian DeCarpenter. Who we got? We have Brett from Illinois. Brett, what's up? 
How's it going? How you doing tonight, man? What's your question, sir? Uh, it's got to do with crankbaits along those lines. Ooh. And um, I'm just wondering, do you use uh, rattleless crankbaits? And if you do, what makes you decide to go to something like that? That's a great question. That's a great question. And, and uh, for the guys on the cast couch, the question was rattling baits versus silent baits. And I'm going to tell you, for me, I'm going to answer two ways real quick. For me, the general scenario is the dirtier the water, the more active the fish, the more I tend to go toward a crankbait with some sound. The clearer the water, the less active the fish, the more I tend to go to uh, a silent type bait. And that goes for crankbaits, even vibration baits you can get now without rattles. But I, I do want to say something real quick, and that is, you know this, my absolute favorite crankbait of all times is a Rapala DT series. And if you listen to that DT series, it has a very subtle rattle. And it's the perfect complement to me. It's not it's not quiet, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, that DT, if you shake it, it's just it's just that very subtle noise. And that's a big sound for me, is that subtle sound of that DT. What do you think, Pete? Are you, so what you're saying is your favorite crankbait is not Pete's Quiet Killer? <laughs> that's a good one. And it's a good one under certain scenarios, for sure. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> well, you know, the thing to remember, what you just said is true. Not Even a, even a crankbait without rattles makes noise. And you know that. You know that with the hook hangers. Yep. That's a fact. I mean, so I, I agree with you 100%. It's I, I say it like this: positive fishing conditions, warming water, increasing current, stained water, uh, clouds, overcast. That's a positive fishing condition where fish are expected to be aggressive. And I want a loud bait. I want a wide wobbling bait. I want something that they can find because the big ones are going to bite under those conditions. When it's negative, water temperatures dropping, current slowing down, bluebird skies, clear water or lots of fishing pressure all around you. That's where silence silence really dominates. So you really need both. You can't be successful with one or the other all the time. You need to have both to make that adjustment. It's a good question, man. Thank you for the call. We're going to do one more. Thank you. We're going to do one more instant message question. We're going to do one more call, and then we're going to keep going. What do we got, Beck? <laughs> it's a good question. That's harsh. Come on. Okay. All right. That, that, all right. That's this is easy. To I'll let yeah. Pete answer this one. The question was, which tournament is going to have more winning winning weight, the Delaware River or Pittsburgh? Pete, you can't even compare the two damn fish. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't compare we fish. Hey, they're the the. They're different. There's a lot of fish on the Delaware River, and I think clearly the Delaware River is going to dominate the, what what happened in Pittsburgh. It's going to be we're going to see probably a 15 pound bags if if conditions are good. Uh, we may and even see bigger bags than that. And lots of limits. Lots, lots of eight to ten pound limits. Lo lots of it's a really good fishery. I think the guys are going to be pleasantly surprised yeah. by that. Wish I had a better tide though. That's okay. That's okay. I I don't because I like the tide is better. Yeah, I like the tide. That tide's awesome. It's a good tide because it's cut day. That's and it's gonna, yeah. Well, and it's gonna make it tough. gets better and better every day. Yeah. And for any of you pros listening, or spies for the pros that are listening, because I know there's a lot of you out there, <laughs> run up the river as far as you can. Go above that Trenton Makes Bridge. Get up in them rocks. That's where the tournament will be won on big smallmouth. Huge smallmouth up there. <laughs> All right, Brian DeCarpenter, we got one more phone call question. We don't. We will. We will. Okay. <laughs> 
We got another instant messaging question. We want to take one more. Oh, uh, yes. All right. Um, okay, you can only choose one line to use for crankbaits. What is it? Ooh. Really good question. I'm not letting you answer this, Chris. <laughs> no magnathan. No, <laughs> no magnathan. I'm so sick of I'm sick of seeing crankbaits break off and just fly through the air. <laughs> That's a great question. It, I, I'll, I'll let I'll let Pete answer too. If I had one line to choose for cranking, it's going to be fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon has changed. The dynamics of crankbait fishing for me. It's a it's the main thing is it's a dense line, it sinks. What a dense sinking line means to a crankbait is more action and better diving depth. Berkeley Trilene one hundred percent fluorocarbon in twelve pound test is my number one choice for crankbait. Next question, we got a call, Brian? We we do have a call. We okay. have Mike from Florida. Okay, Mike from Florida, how are you? Hey, what's up, Mike? How's the weather, How's the weather down there? <laughs> awesome, man. We're at uh, about 80 degrees today. Fishing's been great. Stop that. You're killing me. It's snowing. <laughs> I've been trying to get a hold of you for a while. All right, I got two questions. We'll try to make them quick for you. I know you're about to head out. But uh, one, St. John's River. I met you out there a while ago when you were fishing the Southern Opens in Palatka. Did you what are you, what were you able to figure out there? Because most of my tournaments are out there and put in the river, and I can't. I mean, I'm catching fish, fish scattered here and there in the grass. I, I can't figure it out. Yeah. I didn't know if you had any kind of plan for the, the river out there. Yeah, I, I tell you, St. John's. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Florida fish in general over the 15 years of my career have been the toughest fish to figure out. This pure Florida <laughs> You know, my uh, for the St. John's River, I've had some good ones there over the years, and I've had a lot of bad ones. When we're there for the elites, which is about two weeks away, you know, the spawn is going to be the main deal. And, and a majority of the fish will either be caught on the beds or right up there near the beds. And, you know, my, my game plan this time is to get into the best spawning areas, historical spawning areas, and just go see where, where the groups are. You know, I can tell you, I'm going to tell you this and be honest with you, that I'm going to spend one day in Lake George in practice. I'm going to spend one full day in Crescent Lake. And then I'm going to spend my last day of practice on a long shot, which is Dexter and Woodruff, which are lakes extremely far down in that chain, and make that kind of a Hail Mary. And, and, you know, and that's my game plan for that tournament. But it will revolve around spawning fish. That was a great question. I miss I miss. I was just, I was just wondering because I go as a, I go as a co-angler, so I don't really have the direction of the boat, you know what I mean? So Absolutely. wherever I'm fit, I'm just trying to get, get a little something going on there. But uh, yeah. I appreciate it. But my next question is, when it comes to spinning reels and bait casters, which what do you prefer for which kind of baits or lures or techniques? Because I mean, I'm 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 a little scattered on that one. Like I like bait casters over anything because I you know they're easier for me to use. But yeah. I find for my drop shot rigs, I love to use spinning reels. But I see you use them for a lot of different techniques. You know, I watched on YouTube and stuff. I, I check you out, and you got a different you know setup when yeah. it comes to spinning reels. And I'm wondering is, is there really a difference when it comes to using certain baits and techniques? Versus the, the uh, versus the bait casting. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I 
real simple rule of thumb on picking spinning versus casting for me is the weight of the bait. And if that bait weighs a quarter ounce or less, 90% of the time I'm throwing on a spinning rod. It's a little drop shot, a little finesse bait, weighs less than a quarter of an ounce. I throw it on a spinner rod. If that bait's heavier, if it's a quarter ounce or more, if it's a jig, a spinner bait, a crank bait, a buzz bait, three eighths, half, three quarter, I throw it on a casting rod. So I, I use that weight to help me pick the right. The that, right that, that sometimes the wind too. Like those, uh, you, you know, I like uh, throwing my little crank bait on a bait caster. But boy, when you're facing into a stiff wind, that that spinning rod is so much easier to get the distance you need, get those baits out there. So. So, uh, you know, you have to be versatile enough to use both of those pieces of equipment. And when it comes to skipping, uh, the spinning rod in a lot of scenarios, especially weightless applications, it can put baits underneath things that you can't get that close to with a bait caster. So uh, right. you got to have both. Got to have both. Great questions, man. Why we have the uh, couch cam on, I just want to let you know that Dave Brodzik was the first one from all the from us back in the day when we were all this tall to use a baitcaster. Dave props to that. Nicely done. Your hand, Dave. Good job. I mean we were we were I, I wanna say we were ten of the twelve years old and you pulled out the baitcaster. It was like a Ryobi, I don't remember what it was. Shimano Banner. Shimano Banner! Oh. A fighting rod! Oh my god, you're going way back. And you had the buzzing frog and you were just buzzing it. The rebel buzzing frog with the legs. No, seriously, props for that. That was awesome. Because I think I was still using Standing six foot cast with backlash where everyone else. Was. <laughs> <laughs> you gave us a chance. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. I was still using a spin cast back then. Yeah, man. Not even a spinning yet. I was like Woo Daves. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo, woo. All right, Pete. It's about that time. We're a couple minutes from being over, and here's the exciting part. It is time for the tackle warehouse trivia question of the week of the month. Tackle Warehouse Trivia. Question Are we ready? And, yeah, we're ready. And so what we're going to do here is... Get my text. It, Pete. Nope. <laughs> uh, Pete's got the question, and we're going to flash the number back up on the screen here in a second. The first caller that knows the answer to this question is going to win this beautiful Tackle Warehouse hat, this beautiful bumper sticker, and a gift card for $25 at Tackle Warehouse. That's good. Nice. Twenty-five dollars is a lot of money at Tackle Warehouse. That could buy a lot of uh, DT6s and Demon. You bringing the bumper sticker back, man? Yeah. Well, bringing it back. Look, Look at that. Okay. So yeah. our trivia question of the week is is where we just come from the classic, and uh, we're going back. We went way back to the Bantam. <laughs> we're going back even further. We're going back to nine. 1973. Who won that classic? 1973. 1973. Who won the 1973 Fastmaster Classic? Brian, put that number back up on the phone, too. Uh, first caller that gets this right. Who won? What was it? Where? The 1973 Bassmaster Classic. <laughs> if you get that right, you are the winner of the Tackle Warehouse Trivia Question of the Month. And we're not that savvy. Becky asked me where was it won, and she wants clues, and I have no. I think idea. it was held on Cooper but, River, wasn't it? But uh. Wants to know if you're fishing that this year. There, uh, the Cooper River tournament. I don't know if there is one this year. They might not have it. Rumor has I, it they're doing a little dredging in the Cooper River this year. It I, might be canceled. I have a picture of the 1973 classic ring. 
Wow. I have that picture. That's where this question comes from. Wow. Because on the way to the Classic, I was seated next to the son of the 1973 Classic winner. And... He showed me his ring, and we if we can get this back to Brian, yeah, he get may that be able back to, to Brian. How old were you, five? Yeah, you're mighty. <laughs> well, I was five. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, this is the son, and he, and Brian's going to put it up there. Yeah, let's look. This, this is, is the son of the, the son of the Bassmaster Classic winner. Now, Brian, he, get that up there. He took the ring off. He passed it around. Yeah, he let us try it on. I I want to let you know I was born I was born in 1972. Chris, what were you born? 75. 75. Yep. 78 over here. We got a lot of a lot of 70s babies. There it goes. He kind of resembles his father. I believe his name is Jimmy. Not who I, not who I thought it was. So Jimmy. No, no. Well, in the meantime, while we're looking for, uh, I'm going to show you another. I have more show and tell. Okay. 1972. Wow. Wow. Bassmasters. Wow. Look at this thing. Ni- 1972. Can I see that? Yeah, you can see it. And it, wow, that's the classic. Look at that. That's thing. the classic takeoff. Smell it. Look at that. I thing. like yeah. that takeoff. The shotgun Ooh, takeoff. It's moldy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that smells good. Now, if you flip open in the first couple of pages, you'll see Bobby Murray won the classic that year, and and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, wow. as was the '73 classic winner that we're talking about. Wow. Bobby and Bob, that just happened at the Classic, and Bobby Murray donated his Classic trophy to the Hall of Fame. Wow! wow. I mean, this I year, someone had to Google it for crying out loud. I mean, the question was yeah. missed like five minutes. There is something <laughs> called Google, folks. At home. This is, we're talking about twenty-five dollars. This yeah, is a lot of money. Of, uh, yeah, we, we, I got it on here. <laughs> I got it on there. <laughs> so we have a winner. Oh, we, oh, we have a winner. winner. We have a winner. The winner of the 1973 Bassmaster Classic was. Oh, you want me to say it? Brandon Palnick. <laughs> I, I, am I supposed to say it now? It was Brandon we Palnick. Have, we have a winner already? No, I, I don't believe Brandon was even a fiction of the imagination of, of his parents back in the Brandon was a little spermazoa <laughs> floating out there. All right, he's on. Okay. All right, hello? Yes, sir. What's your, what's your what's the guess to the, the question? 1973 Bassmaster Classic Champion. Rayo Breckenridge. And you did! Rayo! Rayo Breckenridge. Wow. He actually, Rayo Breckenridge was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Great, great answer. Uh, I'm sure you Googled it, but the, uh, you got it. And uh, But he actually qualified for the next or six additional classics after that. Wow. And had a TV show out of the uh, out of that part of the country. I believe he's like from Arkansas or Missouri or Oklahoma, somewhere out in that part of the country. He had a really successful fishing show for a while. Wow. How about that? Ray? Good, good job. Good answer to that question. That's Jim Leopold from Jim, Ohio. Jim from Ohio. Jim. Stay on the line. We're going to get your information. We're going to send you that information. Uh, man, this was a cool show. Yeah. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about some old school trolling motor beating, trolling motor shaft cutting, <laughs> mud shaft. Stinking. We talked about some cool stuff. We talked about some great topics. We had Randy Howe on the show. And I, I'd like to thank you for something. I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your sloppy facial hair being in front of me the entire <laughs> that show. That looks delicious. Are you kidding me? You put that on a pizza, man. That would be great. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the second episode. want to hit on a couple points before we let you go. 
One is sign up uh, to my to my fan site. Go to go to Facebook. Go to uh, BashUniversity.com. We want to hear your comments on what you want to see in the show. We want to turn this show into what you want it to be. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Um, want to let you know. Write this down. The next show will be Monday, April fourteenth, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Same thing. That'll be the next show. We'll have more information coming out to you on that. You can download this entire show. Go to MikeGuyCanelli.com or go to BassZone.com to download this entire show and watch it later. You know what I mean? If you're on a long drive, if you're on the toilet taking a monster you know, dump and you want to watch the show, nice. download it. It'll be a great time to watch the show. Um, and then also we've got these beautiful Ikeware t-shirts on sale on the website, MikeIkeNell.com. Fifteen bucks. Fifteen nice. bucks. We've got three different styles. Brand new for 2014. Can I, can I have one? You can have one. <laughs> and Brian DeCarpenter is going to queue up a song. Yo, let me get one. Brian DeCarpenter is going to queue up a song that we're going to exit to on this show. And you like this. Well, do you have anything bigger than boys medium? <laughs> medium. This is a boys medium right here, if you're interested. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we're going to go out on this show with a special thanks to MC Thump. And he's got a CD called Fish Hop. You can get it on Reverb Nation. Thank you for letting us play this music. What a cool CD. It was given to me at a show. Somebody came up to me with a hoodie on and, and like, elbowed me, and they go, take this underground. And they walked away. I didn't know what to think. But we listened to this, and we love it. So thank you, MC Thump, for letting us play this music. We're going to end the show to it. Bump that, Brian. Let's kick it. The ugly face. Oh.